the last shot that we got. Alright? We're gonna run the picket fence at it. Now boys, don't get caught watching the paint dry. Welcome back to the picket podcast. Uh, usually the off season is we're anticipating talking some training camp. Uh, however, uh, there have been some uh, pretty exciting, uh, exciting news stories this past week in the NBA. So we wanted to hop on and really have uh, some some really fun discussions on that. Uh, as always, I'm Cam Smith, and I'm Derek Early. Uh, so uh, welcome back again, and follow us here on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at the Picket Fence Podcast. But again, like we had said, um, usually pretty slow heading into training camp. You know, always some. Pardon stories of him not showing up. That was what we were anticipating talking about right. this evening. Uh, so this is going to be so we're going to have just our four quarters, but we're going to have uh, an adjustment to some NBA four quarters today. Twelve minutes talking about the big trades that have happened um, in the past week, uh, the ramifications of those, and how this the dynamic in the NBA. Before that, uh, we're going to get warmed up in some shoot around. Uh, Derek, how's it going, man? Good man. How are you? How's the school year going? Going pretty well. Going pretty well. We're uh, one week out of fall break. How about you guys? Yeah, same. We've got uh, the next three days, and then we've got fall break next week coming up. So, I think we're Absolutely. looking forward to it. The, the kids are most certainly looking forward to it, yeah. <laughs> as it's glaringly obvious at this point in the nine weeks. But getting ready to wrap up the first nine weeks, first quarters out of the way, always feels like first semester flies, yep. and then kind of feels like second semester. Kind of feels like three semesters in itself, but yeah, um, yeah we're yeah, getting there. And, and, it's, and looking forward to post-fall break because that's really getting into ball season. We're getting a lot yeah. of our you know, football players and cross-country runners and tennis players back, and we'll be in the gym in less than a month getting started with practice, which is, which is pretty yeah, exciting. Yeah, we get high school ball starting in the next calendar month. I think this is the, what do we have, just the last weekend without NBA basketball until June. Yeah, here so absolutely. we've got you know some NBA preseason stuff starting this week, and then we've got college that their practices have already started. So we'll have first part of November the exhibition games going on, and some of those early season games and tournaments. So this is getting into the the fun part of the year here. Absolutely, we'll be busy on uh, on the podcast with a lot of those news stories, high school, college, and NBA. We'll have too many stories to keep hold of. But um, before we get started, I wanted to shout out um, this coaches clinic that I went to this weekend. So I went to Field for the Game in Bloomington, hosted by Heath Howington, head coach at Evansville Memorial, Nate Cagney of Whiteland, and uh, Jeremy Roush, who uh, has stepped away from coaching but now runs a business called Flow Group, and he puts on a lot of different basketball-related um, events and does some really good job, a lot of good outreach um, from those three guys. And it was this really, really interesting clinic because it's different than what I've normally been to. Typically, you know, you go to the clinic and they have a few keynote speakers. You're taking notes. Maybe there's some Q&A afterwards. Um, Thursday night, we had what was called the next wave. And so there were a lot of assistant coaches there. And there was a, um, some Q&A on, um, you know, getting your resume together. What's it going to look like when okay. you're applying for those good jobs? Some great tips for young assistant coaches. Um, I found it super beneficial. I'd never yeah. done anything quite like that before. Um, so some great, great uh, tips from those guys. Friday was a round table. So we have all these great coaches. And, some guys, friends of the podcast, Josh Thompson from Bar was there, uh, Ryan Miller uh, from Providence, and then some other coaches from around the state. And, uh, but there was some that we got a little bit more. And rather than it just being keynote speaker after keynote speaker, 
they're all sitting around the table with other head coaches, other assistants, and they're just taking on topic after topic, question after question, and just kind of bouncing them off of each other. They called it the think tank. And so just all these ideas bouncing around from these great basketball minds. Um, I couldn't stop, like, writing stuff down. Like, I, I was, like, filling up my notepad listening to these guys. Um, it was just it was just unbelievable, and they're giving some X's and O things, some culture and program building things, uh, how they approach different situations, what their fall looks like, what their spring looks like, and it was about as educational of a one day in basketball as I've maybe ever had. Just listening to all these guys covering so many different topics, uh, and that, I think that's what was amazing about it is it's not just hey we're going to talk about offense and defense or we're just going to talk about one thing. We we covered ten different things. And it was just nonstop, like gold nugget after gold nugget. Uh, really beneficial. I can't wait to share the notes with you on it. Uh, but I wanted to shout out those guys, Heath Howington, Nate Cagney, and Jeremy Roush. They just were, you know, gracious enough to allow us to come and, and be a part of that and gracious enough to um, you know, put it all together. And it was just so beneficial. So I just want to say thank you to those guys. Um, and I would be remiss if I didn't, on our Picket Fence Indiana podcast here, talk about going to the IU practice. Um, on Saturday, which was pretty awesome. So Coach Woodson hosted uh, an open practice on Saturday, 10 a.m. Very excited. Got to go down the floor and meet Coach Woodson. Super nice guy. And, man, he is really running some tough practices. I think Hoosier fans would be excited to know how tough he is on those guys and how he's got just such a high standard. Um, And I'm hoping to see that team. I know they lost a lot, but I'm hoping to see them you know, bounce back with it. But right. man, it was really, it's really fun to just be in assembly hall and just watch that stuff. Yeah. happen. I mean, it was, it was great. Uh, but uh, other than that, it was just a fantastic weekend of basketball. There hasn't been much basketball since the end of June and just being around it for three straight days. I was just, I'm just anxious for basketball season to start now. Well, I don't want to sit here and, and have a conversation and have you, you know, talk about all the great coaches you got to hear and um, the nuggets you took away from there. It sounded like, and you and I talking, you managed to give them a little bit of, some knowledge and you shared a pretty good little golden nugget with the coaches while you were there too. So can you talk on a little bit about what you presented and, and some of the things that you were able to discuss for coming from the court and central Panthers and the, the, the ever growing brain of Cam Smith? Well, I don't necessarily, if I would call it maybe the ever growing brain, but maybe the, uh, um, ever growing or, uh, too long, uh, of, uh, some presentations. So, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if the correct term would be maybe outkicking the coverage, but maybe a little bit of that. I think I maybe uh, overstepped in terms of my length and boundaries on my uh, time limit. But they asked the assistant coaches on Thursday night at the next wave to to present a small uh, five to ten minute presentation on a topic of your choice. I they said anything that you feel passionately about. I took that to heart. Uh, so there were about ten presenters. Okay. Uh, and they all presented some really great X's and O's. I mean, I took notes from all of these guys, some great assistants from around the state. Yeah. Uh, with some really great X's and O's. Talking. I presented a little bit of some of the analytics we do at Corden Central, uh, which is something that we're, last year we were, uh, I wouldn't say experimenting with, but we actually really went pretty deep into it. Uh, based a lot of our offensive and defensive approach on self-analyzing and analyzing our opponents. And so we gave a, uh, I give a, a presentation on that that I think probably exceeded the time limit and constraints that were given. It's okay. If it's good information, you're allowed to exceed time limits. No, they didn't say you couldn't. They said five to ten. It didn't <laughs> say that ten was a limit. So really, maybe that's 
Maybe that needs to be, you know, on paper next time. But uh, I, I think it went over pretty well. I think it may have uh, something that I definitely think maybe is new. I don't think it's looked at as much in high school basketball. I mean, we're hearing a lot about the rise of, of analytics in, in pro sports and college sports. And that's not just, hey, we take more threes than twos. I, it, you know, really analyzing your approach to the game, uh, the scouting and the way that you are balancing your offensive and defensive. <laughs> And doing that in the most efficient form. And so that was basically the, the premise of it, um, how to self-analyze and make yourself the most efficient version of yourself and how you can do that with, um, you know, uh, in, in uh, attacking your opponent. How can you make them the least efficient version of themselves? So I definitely think maybe it opened some eyes and maybe they would, you know, think about using some of that. I know some people said they wanted to reach out and talk a little bit more. So hopefully maybe I can help some other coaches just like they helped me. Uh, but it was, it was definitely fun to give it. I think it... It wasn't as it wasn't expected on their part, I think. But that's okay. Uh, I enjoyed getting it. I could have talked about it for forty five minutes, but yeah, they had to, they had to they had to play me off like the Oscars. I think if, <laughs> if I keep going, but it's pretty exciting. Good deal, man. That's awesome. I think you know sometimes you get into those situations where it's okay. We'll give you know give a five or ten minute presentation, and it goes into you know here's a drill that we do, or here's a defensive shell situation, or here's a a transition break drill that we get into, or here are some, some set plays, quick hitters, out-of-bounds stuff. And it turns yep. into something that's just really kind of simple. And right. I think what you gave them was actually something that they had to process and think about. And there's tangible information in what you're giving because, I, as you and I have talked a bunch about this topic, it's it's something that looking at the analytical side can change the way that you game plan, can change the way you prep, it can change the way you practice. And right. when you think about kind of the old school method without the analytical side, you're talking about, you know, how do we stop certain teams fast breaks? You know, how do we take away their options? How do we stop their, their sets in the half court? Well, that's all important. Yes. But if you know that a certain team is highly successful when they score a certain number, you know, you can kind of tailor your practices and your game plan to maybe not stopping certain set plays but maybe you need to play the game at a certain pace. Right. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Which I think is a whole lot of what you were able to feed some of those coaches there and a lot of your information tailors uh, those analytics to looking at the pace of a game and what you need to hold a certain team to in order for your team in order in order for you guys to be successful and to win, which I think is really cool because, you know, obviously everybody wants to be as successful as possible and win as many games as they can. And to me, what you were able to give them and you and I talking was another piece yeah. of the puzzle in helping getting your team in a position to be successful, which is cool. Yeah, I mean, but sometimes I think the, the pushback is, well, is it taken away from, you know, the coach's instinct and intuition? That doesn't take away at all. It's just, it's just cutting it down to cold, hard facts, man. Like, yeah, and to me it's another, it's another thing in your bucket. Like it's another thing to be able to pull from, yeah, to analyze, true. and to look at. And, yeah, it's another tool, like you said, which is I, th- I don't think you can ever have too many or enough. No, absolutely. And I think that's one thing that I tried to say was, it, one, it gives the kids evidence of what we're trying to do. You can tell yeah. a kid it's a bad shot, but if you show them on paper where they're most efficient, they respond. Yeah. Um, and I think it eliminates bias. You may think what you're doing is really efficient. And maybe you're right, because that's sometimes <laughs> what it is. It's like, okay, we, we were correct on what we're doing. But then sometimes it's like, whoa, I didn't realize we were doing you know X, Y, Z, and only like two of those things are working. This one thing, really, when we're doing it is – um, you know, inefficient on our part. And I think that's what it does is it, it eliminates yeah. the bias and it, and it shows you, hey, you can cut the fat on things. 
Um, and I think that's, that was the goal of it. And it was, it, I, I was, you know, a little nervous about presenting it, but there was great response and great res- uh, support from these guys that they were really like, you know, you felt really comfortable in that environment. To be yeah. around other head coaches who, who are successful. I mean, Coach Howington at Memorial, he was J.R. Holmes' assistant. And I'm like, what am I going to tell this guy that he's never heard before? I mean, he's I mean, he's been with the best of the best. And I think some of these other coaches there have been in similar positions like that. And some of them, uh, I believe we had a couple that were there with uh, Holmes, if, if what I remember. But these guys have it has been around the block, and so I was a little yeah. worried about it. Um, and they offered fantastic things, and I could have lived but that's kind of what I wanted to offer too is maybe another way to look at something just a tool to make you more efficient not telling anyone they were approaching anything incorrectly because that's never the case um, certainly learning from J.R. Holmes I think you're probably going to learn all the right ways but yeah. um, what I wanted to just show is you know and like you said an extra tool So, but it was a great experience and those guys were fantastic and you couldn't have a more supportive environment of all these different coaches there was no animosity there was nothing but sharing and, and teaching and learning and yeah uh, go back when they do it next year because it is absolutely fantastic so their feel for the game uh they have a subscription you can get stuff on emails they have a website um feel for the game and they've got all these great coaches some of the coaches that we've talked to an interview on here put up presentations on there they have all these different power timeouts and, and videos that you can go and learn from some of the best coaches around the state it's feel for the game I think it's fillforthegame.com and Flow Hoop. They've got just these awesome courses for coaches and youth programs and clinics. It's for coaches from, you know, junior high to high school to college. Uh, it's as good a resource as there is for high school basketball coaches in, in the state of Indiana, and I highly, highly recommend it to our listeners. Uh, when we come back, we're going to have uh, an NBA-level four quarters, a little different than usual, Derek. But we're going to discuss these big-time trades. Have to, yeah. All right, Cam, let's kind of get into this conversation here. Um, I'm excited to, to get into basketball season and not only talk about high school and the things that you've got going on and, and what's, what we've got not only in southern Indiana but across the state and to hear about the Corden Panthers and how things are going there. and uh, Obviously, college is starting, but we have some pretty massive news out of the NBA over the course of the last week that's um, kind of kind of gotten us into holding an emergency podcast here, preseason version to dive into some of these trades. And the first one that you and I wanted to talk about as we jump into our four-quarter segment, uh, we're going to go NBA four-quarter segment, so 12 minutes per topic here, because uh, eight minutes is just not going to cut it at this juncture with everything we've got going on. Uh, Absolutely no. So the first one we're going to jump into is the blockbuster Damian Lillard trade uh, that kind of sort of shocked the NBA. I think the general thought was Miami was his destination. And then out of left field, Miami at the 12th hour kind of comes in and, and makes the, the big-time trade for him from Portland. So we'll get started here. And, Cam, what are your thoughts? So, first of all, the notification, I've got, you know, Twitter notifications on with Woj and, and Choms and those guys. Whenever there's a trade or any small free agent pickup, I get the notification on it, you know. And it was right at the end of our school day. We're taking our students, you know, to get on the bus, to, to go home. And I'm picking up my phone, checking the, checking the clock to see, you know, if it's time to bring them down yet. And that pops up on my <laughs> phone, and I am just frozen. And as I'm looking at it, I get the text from you, and it's just total shock. Like, that's the first thing I seen. It was like, I was speechless. I 
I did not expect that. There was so much heat talk. And then there was Toronto, you know, coming in maybe. You know what I'm saying? Like There was a little bit of some rumors on, on that. And, you know, there was all this, you know, oh, well, Philly's going to swoop in and get him. And yeah, no one expects that to happen. But it was, it was almost like it seemed like a done deal. It was Miami or nothing. Um, but for it to be Milwaukee was, was pure shock. Like, I... I don't know. I, I didn't expect it, and now that's probably one of the most exciting trades we've had in several years. Yeah, especially with the quality of player uh, that that Dame is. You don't really see a guy like that get moved that often. Uh, and I, th- I thought it was interesting too because the speculation obviously was going to be that it was going to be it was going to take a third team to make this trade happen. And I think probably what you saw early on with the talk about Miami was teams across the league not necessarily wanting to help Miami. And I thought it was interesting, um, as surprising as it was to you, it was to me to see that Milwaukee was the team that brought him in and that the Suns were the team that helped facilitate and close the and close the trade out. That's what I thought was really interesting, too, was I think maybe there was just some Miami resentment, but for you to then throw a huge tool... Um, to Milwaukee, where it's not like, you know, hey, they, they snagged. It's not like they traded for, you know, uh, Anthony Simons from Portland, you know, who's a nice player. But for them to snag Lillard, who, you know, has been essentially for the past decade second best point guard in basketball. I mean, I think it's argue, you know, you can argue. But, I mean, behind Curry, he's been the guy that everyone's like, oh, if he was in a different situation, if he was in a different situation. He's being thrown with the guy that's in discussion as the, you know, a top two player in the game right now. And then you throw Lillard in the mix, and this is a dynamic that I'm super excited to see. Um, I don't know. It, it took me a minute before I could really respond, because the response was, as always when there's a big trade, oh, well, that's automatic championship. You know what I mean? Like, that's what everyone just thinks. Um, I have some different thoughts now, but I want to run down here the, the moving pieces here, what we got on. Uh, I think it was Thursday last week at around 3 o'clock, I think, was when it was released there. So the Bucks obviously received Damian Lillard via the Portland Trailblazers. The Trailblazers received DeAndre Ayton, Tamani Kamara, Drew Holiday, a 2029 first-round pick, and two first-round pick swaps from the Bucks. And the Suns received Grayson Allen, Keon Johnson, Nasir Little, and Yusef Nurkic. So a very big trade with some big names being thrown around, especially DeAndre Ayton leaving Phoenix, but I think that was what was interesting too, like you just said. It wasn't just that it was a three-team trade. It wasn't just that it went to a powerhouse team in the NBA right now. Phoenix kind of really helped push the building. Yeah. And it was a team that lost to Milwaukee in the finals and a team that is trying to contend themselves, and they got some nice pieces back, but they put one of the best guns in basketball on their, you know, cross-conference rival. Right. Yeah, and maybe that was their thought too. Was you know, if maybe they felt like maybe it helped clear the path a little bit in the Western Conference. Not that Portland was probably going to be competing um, as a Western Conference Finals contender there, but I also think that that Phoenix had a pretty strong desire to get off of DeAndre Ayton and move him. There was the conversation last year that the trade was going to happen with the Pacers. And the trade was basically a done deal until Phoenix decided to match the offer. Um, and that, that, was ha- that was happening late there in February, right before the trade deadline, 
And so it seemed like DeAndre Ayton was the piece that Phoenix was very willing to move um, and for all intents and purposes probably wanted to. And with their addition of Bradley Beal over the summer, um, you know, kind of making their team a pretty substantial three-headed monster in Phoenix, they don't need a big man who can score. And I think bringing in Yosef Nurkic there from Portland gives them the defensive kind of – uh, backstop of the defense, um, a guy who's pretty hard-nosed, pretty tough player, uh, will rebound, do a little bit of the dirty work, and doesn't have to be counted on to score a whole lot, so it opens up some options more uh, for guys like Beal, Booker, and Durant offensively and gives them probably a little bit more freedom. Um, but So I'm like you, I don't I'm, – I'm surprised that a team like Phoenix that's going to be a contender in the Western Conference was willing to help move – Damian Lillard to a team that was already a legitimate contender in the Eastern Conference and only further solidify their spot as a team that's not only going to be in conversations of winning the Eastern Conference, but now is a legitimate conversation piece as far as winning the NBA title. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they became the favorites right after that trade. I know like all the, you know, the odds shift and everything. I'm not, I'm not a gambler, but I, you know, they, I pay attention when it, when those odds shift and, they became the immediate favorite, and that was the talk. So, so the question here is, and I have my thoughts on it. I want to know you, what, what, what do you think about? And we've had, you know, a week or so to sit on this. What do you think about it? Do you think that the odds on favor? Do you think it's it's a lock, or do you have second thoughts on it? I know we're going to talk about this in the next twelve minute segment. My feelings changed the minute Drew Holiday got traded to Boston. Uh, I do like the fact that Lillard gets to go play with someone like Giannis, and I like the fact that Giannis is going to get to play with someone like Lillard. Now, I don't know what that means for them offensively. Uh, Of course, it's a good problem to have when you have two players of that caliber. I do think it takes quite a bit of the load off of Giannis as far as his responsibility. Uh, And then now you go from Chris Middleton being the second-best player to Chris Middleton being your third-best player. You're in a really good position. Uh, and you've still got, you know, uh, Brooke Lopez in the mix, and you've still you still have a lineup that is going to be very very talented. And you're talking about Middleton as your third best player. I feel like you're in a really good spot. Uh, that being said, Damian Lillard is 33 years old, um, so it's not like he's 27, 28, 29 looking at the prime. You know, we're looking at a, at, a, at a point guard with an incredibly high usage rate um, in Portland. We're also talking about a point guard in Lillard that does have sort of an on-off history of occasionally being injured, being a little bit beat up. Uh, and he's only played 61 career playoff games. And in his playoff career, he is 22 and 39. So we're not exactly talking about a guy either that's made deep playoff runs. Now, he's very well known for the two massive shots he's hit in the playoffs. Yeah. You know, series walk-off enders. Uh, so he does have a flair for being clutch, a flair for the dramatics, and he certainly has a clutch gene unlike anybody else in the NBA. But to sit here and talk about you know, Milwaukee getting a guy that's playoff tested, has made runs, you know, perennially led his team to you know, being a, a top two or top three seed in the Western Conference, we're not quite there. Um, so I'm curious to see this season 
what it looks like when there is legitimate pressure on Damian Lillard and Giannis together and how that plays out. If they can answer the bell or if it's going to be a, if it's going to take time like we saw it take time in Miami with LeBron and and D Wade and Chris Bosh. Yeah, absolutely. I think it definitely changes the dynamic. I know a couple of years ago when they had Malcolm Brogdon as the point guard, they were at the highest level in terms of offensive efficiency. Um, so I think in terms of offense, it gives them a brand new dynamic. Everything goes through Giannis. Um, he's pushing and he creates a ton of three-point shots off of his drives. Um, even Brooke Lopez now you know, transitioned to being that shooter to play off of Giannis. To have someone like Lillard be that threat off the ball is unbelievable. But I also think it adds the pick-and-roll dynamic to have a real guy that can come off of the pick-and-roll. I mean, Chris Middleton's nice, but he's not the same kind of creator. Uh, to have him with Giannis I think would be very, very interesting. I, I would like to see them explore that. So I think it adds an offensive dynamic that I'm very uh, interested to see because I think it's going to be exciting and explosive and just adds more of that shooting to that uh, lineup. This is the best defensive team that Willard's ever been a part of. Um, they were fourth in defensive rating last year uh, in Milwaukee. But I also think that changes the defensive dynamic because you have Lopez and Giannis protecting the rim, but then you have an absolutely um, lockdown defender on the perimeter, Andrew Holiday, and maybe the best um, defensive guard. I mean, he's maybe a two, maybe a one, but the best that you have really in, in the league. And Willard is not that guy. Um, right. I think I think you know when you're weighing things, people would probably take what Lillard can bring. But it's like yeah. you said, you know, he's older. He isn't the defender that Drew is. He is explosive. I mean, this guy's throwing down sixty point games. Like it's it's going to look good. There's going to be some times this year where Giannis and Lillard look really good in the playoffs. What does it look like? Is he a liability? Can you attack him? You couldn't attack the Bucks lineup when they were healthy. There was no defensive liabilities out there. Zero. Um, you can with Lillard. Can you hide him? Is there enough defense that you can hide? I don't know. Um, that's my question. My question is, what does playoff basketball look like when you have someone that could could potentially be a defensive liability? Uh, what they're going to look like in the regular season is probably going to be fast and very, very fun. They're swinging for the fence. They want more titles in Milwaukee. They want more titles... For Giannis, they, they, last year I think they, they have an opportunity that they feel like they missed. But I think what's really exciting will be what they're going to do in the regular season. My question really comes from what they're going to do uh, on defense in a playoff scenario. Yeah, 100%. Um, so that's, that's our buzzer there for, for quarter one. Got a couple extra minutes there, but I think uh, that's a topic that's pretty worthy, pretty worthy of that. Um, I would like... Quarter two now, we're going to start it off and go to uh, the flip side. And we mentioned this player, and you brought up this team. I want to talk the Celtics and their big trade. I'm going to start the clock for quarter two, 12 minutes on the clock. The other exciting trade that's not as um, you know as highlighted as the Lillard trade, and, and probably reasonably so, but maybe the more, uh, the more interesting and more dynamic trade with Drew Holiday going to Boston immediately after he was traded uh, to Portland. I'm going to let you kick this one off. Yeah, and I think, like you said, it's not certainly been as highly touted or as newsworthy as the trade involving Damian Lillard going to Milwaukee. But Drew Holiday being a piece of this trade, 
who was, like you said, a focal point of that Milwaukee Bucks team, uh, kind of was the cornerstone of their defense. He kind of set the tone as the, the lead guard defensively. And moving him to, to Portland initially, and then Portland moving him to Boston, quietly, this is a really good move for Boston. Um, and like you and I have talked about a bunch, never underestimate Brad Stevens. Ever. The things that they've been able to do in bringing in Porzingis to match him up with Horford, uh, I thought maybe you overpaid a little bit for Jalen Brown, making him the highest paid player ever, but you keep arguably one of the best wing tandems in the NBA together, and now you're bringing in Drew Holiday, and you give up Malcolm Brogdon, who to me, you're trading Malcolm Brogdon and Robin or Robert Williams for Drew Holiday, essentially. Now, Portland gets a whole mess of players and draft picks in this deal, so kudos to Portland. They're obviously building for the future, and to me that makes a whole bunch of sense. I'm excited to see how that situation plays out there. Uh, gosh, you think about a guy like Scoot Henderson who has a chance now to really lead a team. That's going to be fun. But Very fun. looking at Boston, bringing in uh, a veteran champion point guard like Drew Holiday, uh, who's not going to be counted on or relied upon to go and get 20 points a night, but he's going to be re- relied upon a lot in that Rajon Rondo role, um, going back to the early 2000s Boston Celtics, of just manning the point, running the offense, distributing the basketball, and guarding the other team's best wing player. Um, that's going to take a ton of pressure off Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown on the defensive end of the floor to free them up offensively. You mix that in with Porzingis at a stretch four spot who's like seven feet 12. Um, <laughs> I don't know defensively how teams, and even going to, even talking about Milwaukee, you know, how do teams defensively match up with Boston now? Uh, like you said, the betting favorite, it's a split. It's 50-50. Um, it's even money. I think they're both plus 380 at this point. Um, in Vegas to win the net to, to win the NBA title, Milwaukee and Boston. Uh, so that's going to be fun to play out. I think you know injuries obviously can play a role in the season, but Boston to me got better uh, by bringing in Drew Holiday too. So it's going to be fun to watch that team as well as Milwaukee. Where are you at? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we were mentioning Drew Holiday and his impact. Um, he was. Again, a piece that it was almost shocking that Portland got them, like got him, and it was like, oh, man, that, that seems like a weird move for a rebuilding team. But then the rumors were immediate within the hour that there were teams jumping on him. Philly wanted some of it. Um, I know that uh, Boston was in on it, and there was talks with a few other teams really trying to get in on Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday, it's not just the eye test that he's you know, a, an elite defender. He had the second highest defensive rating among NBA guards last season. Um, he was below DeAnthony Melton, and DeAnthony Melton was not a starter uh, for the Philadelphia 76ers. So you're talking about the highest-rated defender uh, starting guard in the NBA. Um, these are, you know, he's playing starters minutes, and he's really, really um, an elite defender, and, and everything shows that. We were mentioning Milwaukee being the fourth-highest defensive-rated team in basketball, and above them at number three, was the Boston Celtics. So you already had elite defense in Boston. Like you just said, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown were getting those assignments every night uh, defending guys. Malcolm Brogdon, who's a very nice defender as well, Derek White, but now you're talking about the best defensive guard and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are guarding your second and third options. Yeah, You've got guys like (laughs) 
Horford still protecting the rim, and I know that he's aging. Um, he seems to not be aging as quickly as what you'd expect him to. Um, and you've got a lot of pieces on their bench. I know they lost a few defenders. They lost guys like Grant Williams uh, to the Dallas Mavericks, but you're replacing him with the best in the business. I mean, truly you are. I'm curious to see how they use Porzingis, if he's in that Robert Williams role. You know, he's he's down there blocking shots and chasing chasing drivers like Rob Williams was. And if all things being healthy, the past two seasons, people have been talking about how revolutionary that Boston's defense was. Two seasons ago, um, with Ime Adoka, they were elite. It was They were smothering teams on defense. They looked like that, they could be that again. Uh, they lost Marcus Smart, and there was like, oh, what are they going to do now without Marcus? He was a big catalyst of that defense. They probably just got the best possible replacement. I mean, yeah. legitimately, and a guy that's more consistent on offense. Yeah. They replaced Marcus Smart, who was an amazing defender, defensive player of the year two years ago. And, you know, Marcus is inconsistent on offense, and he does take some bad shots. Now you've got a guy who's very willing to play off the ball, played with played with Giannis, very willing to be that spot-up guy, and now he's going he's gonna to pick up your best guard every night uh, <laughs> in a very guard-dominant league. I know how cool Milwaukee looks with Lillard. And to be honest, I'm excited about it. I mean, I'm excited to watch Lillard in Milwaukee. I think it's going to be as fun as anything we've seen. But Boston looks for real. And this is a team that goes to the Eastern Conference Finals all the time anyway. Yeah, and... The, I think initially out of the gate right now, I would rank Boston incrementally above Milwaukee, and for this reason, Boston brought in a point guard that has won a championship. Yep. And I think that that's going to make a world of difference because Lillard is going to have to figure out – Lillard is – you got 1A and 1B in Milwaukee with, with, Dame, with Lillard and Giannis. So they're going to have to figure out that dynamic. You have Drew Holiday coming in, like you and I have said, arguably the best defender in basketball as a guard. You're bringing this guy into a team that's already been established but hasn't yet won the big one. You're bringing in a point guard that has, that is going to be willing to distribute the basketball, play off the ball, let Tatum and Brown see who's going to go for 30 or 40. Holiday's going to be willing to give you 15 or 16. He's going to play defense on their team's best player. I think he fits in faster in Boston. No why I say that. No um, and to me, I think Boston made the right move in moving the pieces they did in Williams and Brogdon. Brogdon was already kind of out in left field talking about wanting a trade, wanting to be moved, wanting to go somewhere else. Um, he did the same thing in Indiana when he was with the Pacers. Um, yeah. So that kind of seems to be his thing. And Robert Williams was a guy that was off and on injured. Yeah, and he was uh, he was elite defensively, but he, he was there, you wouldn't see him. For yeah, he was elite several. defensively, but he was hard to hard to count on. Um, and to me, I would I would put Boston just a shade above Milwaukee, only because of the the Drew Holiday championship factor. I agree, and I think what you said was that he fits immediately. Boston last year was the second best offense in basketball and the third best defense. You replace Marcus Smart. Who is older? Who was fantastic? Nothing against Marcus Smart. I, I oh, love yeah, that guy. Oh yeah, absolutely. But you're replacing, and it's like, okay, the best possible defensive replacement, and he's a better offensive replacement. I know you lost a. There's some pieces that aren't here. Grant Williams, Robert Williams, a couple of guys that were were big parts of their team. But that starting five, you're keeping Derek White, who was huge for them in the playoffs. Yep, he was huge for them. And 
the, one of the best game that, that tip in. I know we talked about that when it happened. Let's go, but it's still it's still awesome, and it's not talked about enough. Is one of the most maybe the best play of the playoffs. Uh, but you replace Marcus Smart with a maybe more natural offensive guard with the ball, a much better shooter. He's going to do everything Marcus did on defense, and then some. And now you're throwing in a guy that's an elite level shooter. That that looks scary. The Lillard Giannis combo is sexier. You know, like it looks cooler on media day at training camp when those guys are standing side by side. Oh yeah, hundred percent. But that Boston group looks like a championship team, and they have for the past several years. Now it's like uh, that clip where they always show. Thanos dropping that last Infinity <laughs> Stone into the gauntlet. Brad Stevens just dropped his last one in there, and and he's he's got everything now. I think uh, they're super exciting. I think I think that the Eastern Conference, the power has has shifted. I think with these two moves, the West has always been the conference that's just been. A little more loaded. Yeah. It's been deeper. There's teams in the West that you think, you know, hey, if they were in the East, they'd be in the playoffs. And that may yeah. still be the case. But in terms of being top-heavy, with Lillard and Milwaukee, and they were the best team in the East last year anyway. They had the best record. Yeah. Adding someone like that, with Boston being that elite on offense and defense, to throw what they just threw into the mix there. I think there's a huge power dynamic that shifted there. And we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but... I agree with you. There's definitely some excitement with Milwaukee. I love what they did with Milwaukee. It's the most exciting move we've seen in a couple of years. That, especially because it wasn't anticipated. What Boston did, I think, is truly throw down the gauntlet in that we, we are going to take the East. We don't care if you have Lillard. We were already a contender. Miami got lucky. I think that's what Milwaukee and Boston are trying to prove, too. Like I think Mo- Miami is a good team, and they snuck in. And I think now it's Boston's to prove a point that, okay, we've messed around long enough. We're going all in. And it looks like that. And that team looks like – I would not be surprised if they're the best offensive and defensive team. Like, in terms of rating-wise, I, I would not be surprised at all. Um, I'm – after seeing this, I'm just excited to see what it looks like. I just want to see some basketball games. But um, they just look like the most exciting and the most complete team that we have in the NBA right now. Well, and, and to your point, I'm going to say this, and I want to get your – your thoughts before we wrap up the segment on the second quarter here for the first time in a long time, we're talking about the best teams in the NBA possibly being in the Eastern conference. Um, I still would say to your point, I think you're right. I think the Western conference is a deeper conference. I think when we look at talent, we look at teams, you know, you could look at, we could probably have conversations about nine or 10 teams in the Western conference that should be in the playoffs. We know we got the play in and all that stuff, but there's legit, Nine or ten teams in the Western Conference, we could talk about making a real playoff run, and there's probably four or five in the West that we could have a conversation about being which one of these teams makes the NBA Finals. In the Eastern Conference, that power dynamic has completely shifted to Boston and Milwaukee. Now, how things play out and how things shake out, no one really knows yet. Uh, In my mind, I think Boston probably ends up with the best record in the NBA this year. I think that they're a little bit more durable. Um, I think that they've got enough guys to rely on night in, night out, um, that they probably end up with the best record. I think Milwaukee is willing to play the long game 
as far as how the season goes. They've got to know in their back pocket, as long as we make the playoffs, we're probably going to be in the conference finals. We're probably going to make a run and try and win a championship. So I could see Milwaukee being, out of those two teams, the one that's probably probably willing to, to give Dame a night off every three or four games, you know, to give Giannis his time off if he feels like he needs it. You know, if Milwaukee gets to 50 wins, 52 wins, they've got to know in their back pocket. They've got to feel pretty good about that number. That's a playoff number. That's a pretty high seed in the playoffs. I think that they're going to play for that and then let the chips fall once April gets here and the playoffs begin. I agree. And uh, I know that was our our buzzer there to end the second quarter, but I think we could go on longer about that. And we can talk about that power dynamic coming up in quarter four. Uh, but as we'll blow through halftime here, uh, halftime is reserved for uh, sponsorships, which <laughs> or we would love to have that time filled. Uh, it's like uh, sponsorships could be you. Could, yeah, that could be you. This could be you at our halftime. Investors could be you. Could be you. Uh, it's like Ernie Johnson on NBA on TNT. His EJ's Nito stat of the night on NBA on TNT, always sponsored by nobody. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> halftime currently sponsored by nobody, but hey, this could be you. Uh, as we jump into quarter three, though, we've been talking two quarters of just awesome basketball news. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna come to a screeching halt with <laughs> every basketball fan's <laughs> two least favorite words: James Harden. Um, <laughs> let's talk awful, awful basketball off seasons, and we just talked about an amazing power dynamic in Milwaukee and Boston, and now we have the mess that is Philadelphia. And I just want to start by saying this. There's no one who's a bigger Joel Embiid fan than me. And at this point, I just feel sorry for the guy. Before we can talk about Harden, I That's think... That's true. That's fair. I just... It needs to be said. He starts his career with two empty seasons where he is injured. Yep. And he recovers. He not only recovers, he's an MVP. He's a back-to-back scoring title. Uh, winner. He has overcome all odds to be, you know, deservedly so behind Jokic, considered the best big in the game, and he's probably a top three, four, five player on everybody's list. And he's endured playoff heartbreak through horrid coaching decisions. Horrid coaching decisions. Um, a number one overall pick that refuses to learn how to shoot the basketball refuses to play and forces his way out. Another number one overall pick who forgot how to shoot the basketball, (laughs) and no one talks about that anymore, forgot how to shoot the basketball and left Philadelphia. And then they trade the other number one overall pick for a former MVP who is an absolute locker room cancer. There's no other way to say that. Um, and this isn't news to anyone, but I'm just tired of hearing about it. Like, we shouldn't deal with this guy anymore. And now he's forcing his way out here, and Embiid's watching these Eastern Conference teams just stack and stack and stack. And he's watching the other big in the Western Conference dominate the game of basketball in a way that um, wins a championship. And he is now, again, on his uh, next teammate, that is now pushing his way out and doesn't want to show up to training camp. So this is year after year. And I think at this point, it needs to just be either 
something really, really good happens to Philadelphia, or they give him the respect to send him somewhere else. Because at this point, Embiid deserves to be somewhere else. My Embiid rant is over with. Let's talk my least favorite player in the history of sports. Um, maybe at this point he is. Uh, James Harden, the Alex Rodriguez of the NBA, is now wanting to leave Philadelphia. He refused to show up to training camp. He's supposed to be there tomorrow. That was the news today. James Harden is demanding nothing but the Clippers, trashing Daryl Morey. He wants to leave. Old news because it happens everywhere. But this is at a disgusting point. Is that how you feel? I feel disgusted. Yeah, and I guess I'll kind of jump into a similar rant here if you don't mind. I'm going to get on my soapbox as well. Uh, Going into this summer, I think even getting into the end of last season, you kind of saw this ball get rolling with how this James Harden situation was potentially going to play out. And for me, it's a situation, I'm like you, I'm tired of it. Uh, Pulling up, he is on the hook this season for $35.6 million from the Philadelphia 76ers to play the game of basketball. And he's in yet another situation and another team he's trying to force his way off of. And, And I know we have conversations about individuals and society and the way things are, and you and I talk about that stuff off camera, obviously, and off the the microphone, but when, as teachers, you know, if we're talking about a student or a coworker, and the the individual speaks how everyone else is the problem, maybe you have to look inwardly and say, maybe it's not everybody else. Maybe I'm the problem, yeah. and maybe we're in a situation where James Harden is the issue here. Uh, I don't know where he ends up. I thought he would be moved by now. At this point, but I admire a little bit of Daryl Morey in Philadelphia and kind of sticking to his guns, holding his ground, digging his heels in a little bit, and saying, We're going to make you play for us. You're under contract. We're not going to trade you, and we expect you to show up. Uh, I think part of that, too, probably is you don't have a team in the league that wants to take on his contract for $35 million, uh, when more than likely you know it's going to be a one year and done. Uh, you know, we've listed off five or six teams that are that are legitimate contenders this year, there's not one of those teams he fits on. Uh, or that wants him. Right, that he would fit on or that would want to take him on because, like you said, the whole locker room dynamic completely changes when you bring James Harden into the locker room. Uh, you know, we mentioned Portland and how young they are. There's some other teams in the league that have some youth to build on. You don't bring in a guy at $35 million or with his track record the last four or five years and – say, well, here's our new veteran leader to work with our youth and to help establish our organization. You know, he's a guy, you know, for lack of to be kind of straightforward here and off the cuff, you don't want your your young guys being in a strip club every night either. Um, so I don't know, other than Philadelphia, I don't know where he ends up. I don't think that there's a, a suitable situation like you alluded to, wanting to go to the Clippers, wanting to go to L.A. How does he fit in L.A.? I mean, you're already sitting there with Paul George and Kawhi. Those two guys are the entire reason why the NBA put in the setting out superstar clause this year, how you you can't set out two guys in the same night. 
and there's a limit to how many games you can set out during the season at this point. And I think that's 100% because of the L.A. Clippers. Uh, you know, maybe he does get traded there, but I, they're not going to win the championship. I mean, they become a, a huge news topic. They're going to be on ESPN every day. They're going to be talked about every day. Um, but none of those guys are, other than Kawhi, but we've seen what it's, kind of how Kawhi's been since he left San Antonio. You know, so now you're talking about moving into having three guys on your roster that are not reliable. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm going to pay attention and see how things play out, but at the same time, it doesn't really, to me, impact the NBA. It's it's unbelievable that, it, that it's continuing to happen. If he goes to the L.A. Clippers, it's going to be a documentary like VH1 making the band, where you couldn't have... You couldn't function because of the egos of every band member, and it's just like, hey, here's the little bit of success, and then the hard, fast downfall. That that's exactly what it's going to be. It's going to be Guns and Roses or Van Halen just blowing up on stage and breaking up. Like Harden wants out of everywhere. Kawhi wanted out of everywhere until he got to the Clippers, and they just catered to him. Paul George is just along for the ride everywhere he goes. He's a great player, but it just seems that way. And Russell Westbrook who is an enigma of a basketball player. Like, complete mystery. He plays so hard, it does not contribute to winning. He does not see his own faults. And all four of those guys would be on the same roster. It would be a calamity. I borderline want to see it because they all deserve it. <laughs> like, they all deserve to be on the same roster. That's why I hope it happens. And, of course, it would be on the Los Angeles Clippers. There's a reason players like that don't get signed by Boston and the Lakers and these teams that are upsetting like that. Miami Heat, you don't see the Miami Heat pursuing players like that. Mm -mm. You don't because these organizations, the Golden State Warriors, the Golden State Warriors don't touch any of those guys. They are the gold standard and they know what winning basketball looks like. Boston, the Lakers, Golden State Warriors, Miami Heat, why are they not wanting any of these guys? Why do they not want... Well, they wanted Westbrook, and they ended that quickly. They don't want Harden. They don't want Westbrook. They don't want Kawhi or Paul George. These top, these top franchises don't want anything to do with it, and, and there's a reason for that. They, Those four superstars, Kawhi and James Harden, deserve each other. And they deserve it because every basketball fan has endured that, that pain. I, I know that Toronto was something kind of special. That roster was loaded. He had a shot that bounced in. You play that 10 times out of 10. Philly wins that. Maybe Milwaukee wins that. And they were the beneficiary of Klay Thompson and Kevin Durant getting injured in the NBA Finals. You play that up healthy, Toronto doesn't win. Period. Kawhi Leonard is the beneficiary of a very good young roster, a very innovative new head coach, and Nick Nurse, who's fantastic. You have a shot that bounces in against Philadelphia, and you have two of the three best players on the best offense we've ever seen, probably the best basketball team we've ever seen. We're not talking about that team if that shot bounces out or if everyone's healthy. And Kawhi Leonard is not held in the same regard. And at this point, he's only held in regard because of that right there. We are talking about Kawhi because of what we saw in Toronto. In L.A., he's not done any of that. And I know we just took this hardened topic into Kawhi, but... <laughs> 
they, they're going to end up together because that's what's happening here. That's why I'm on this point. James Harden is going to end up with the Clippers because this is what's going to happen. At some point, Philadelphia has to move on or they're going to lose Joel. Yeah. And they can't do that. They yeah, and that, that to me is, has been the more interesting point uh, is that they've not moved Embiid this summer. And out of Harden and Embiid, I would be more inclined to think from a basketball standpoint that Joel Embiid would be the one saying, get me out of here, move me somewhere where I can go win. Yeah, is that not a testament to his character, though? He still hasn't, which I think is amazing. He showed up to training camp with a Philadelphia Phillies beanie on supporting the fact that the Phillies are in the playoffs. He's all Philadelphia, and that's where he wants to be. Yeah. Which is why it's so sad for Philly fans and for someone like Embiid. They're going to lose him because he's going to have to go. If nothing changes, he has to. And the haul for Embiid is huge because that means the Knicks. And to be, and to be honest, with Dame going to – here's my here's where I was getting to with, with that point. But with Dame going to Milwaukee and – Drew Holiday going to Boston and all the Harden situation coming on. There was a lot of pieces that Miami was willing to throw at Portland. Are those pieces that they are now willing to throw at Philadelphia to add Joel and Bede to their roster? Now, it's going to be a little more for Joel than Dame, but they had a lot of things they were ready to throw out there. And if Joel's gone, Philly's in full rebuild mode. I wonder if that's not a thought that's crossing Pat Riley's mind here. The Eastern Conference, they're, they're now, they're an, Miami's an afterthought, except for Jimmy Butler's hair, uh, which we haven't talked about yet. But <laughs> That's the only reason Miami's in the news. I feel like there's got to be some thought in Miami's mind, hey, there's a, there's a bad situation in Philly. We got a lot of young pieces we could bring into play with Jimmy and Bam Adebayo here. Yep. And, you know, and maybe Bam gets moved up, I don't know. But it's just worth the thought. I think that um, with, as our buzzer goes off, I think that with the shift in the other Eastern Conference teams, Philly has has to find an option or Embiid's gone, and I feel like Miami has to be thinking about that. Yeah, 100%, because Miami has to stay relevant. Yeah, absolutely. Quarter four, as we're about to start the clock here, let's talk a little bit of Portland some Eastern Conference ramifications, and is there pressure on other teams right now in the NBA because of these two big moves? Uh, and I'm going to start the clock, and this may this may put us a little bit into overtime here, Derek, because there's a lot to discuss in this 12 minutes. Uh, let's talk first. Let's talk a little bit of Portland. Yeah. Um, Portland got a heck of a haul. Uh, I think there's some big-time winners in this. Um, they deal Damian Lillard. They get a lot of young pieces. They get a lot of picks. They have... A lot of uh, exciting young guards, and they bring in DeAndre Ayton, who is not too shabby. Number one overall pick, good offensive bid. Right. It puts him in a place where he can develop, and there's not the pressure. Phoenix is win now. Portland, you've got young guards and a guy who really wants to get a lot of shots up. I think that Portland made some fun moves, and I, I like everything they did. How about you? Yeah, Portland went young, which I have absolutely no problem with because the young pieces they have are incredibly talented. Uh, I know that through the draft process, you know, there was a lot of a lot of stuff made in the news about Damian Lillard being there for the workouts and seeing the guys that Portland was wanting to bring in, you know, having the high draft pick that they did. Uh, but I think it makes sense 
basically to hand the keys to Scoot Henderson and Anthony Simons and say, boys, it's your team, and to build around them. Because now you've got a minimum of seven or eight years with those guys as your two best players. Um, you bring in DeAndre Ayton, who is a proven post scorer. Um, he's improved his skill set a little bit to be able to step out to that 15 to 7 feet range or 15 to 17 feet range. He's great in the pick and roll, which I think is going to make life really easy um, for Scoot Henderson as he transitions into the NBA. And to me, you also solidified your roster a little bit in the sense of you got a guy like Malcolm Brogdon who, uh, you know, for better or worse, with some of the issues he had with the Pacers and kind of forcing his way out of Indianapolis. Uh, seemingly wanting to move on from Boston. He's in a situation now where he gets to be a veteran leader, um, take some of these guys under his wing, and, again, low expectations this year in Portland. And maybe he has a resurgence to his career a little bit. Maybe he's able to to do some things in Portland he's not been able to do the last couple of years in Boston. And I like the fact that they brought in uh, Rob Williams because, to me, now he's probably either playing – Maybe you put Aiton at the four. Maybe you bring Rob Williams off the bench in a place he's maybe more comfortable. Um, not going to get the amount of run he was getting in Boston. Probably not going to be as high of a standard in Portland. So maybe, again, he's in a better situation for himself. Uh, but I'm like you. I like the moves Portland did and solidifying a substantial number of draft picks moving forward, too, again, to continue to build that youth and to give those guys pieces. Or you at least have dra- or trade capital down the road that you can utilize too. Yeah, absolutely. And the other piece I want to throw in the mix there is um, uh, maybe a diamond in the rough there with Shaden Sharp. He's a lot of talent. He hasn't quite put it all together yet, but he, he could and it could be really exciting. They've got a lot of young talent. Yeah. Scoot and Anthony, Shaden Sharp. They now have DeAndre Ayton. They drafted uh, Keegan Murray's brother, yeah. uh, Chris Murray from Iowa. Who had they a phenomenal have- summer. Yeah, he was awesome. Yeah, Keegan had one, and I'm sure Chris is going to be, you know, similar. They have Matisse Thibault, who they got from Philadelphia, who's who's a nice piece. They still have Jeremy Grant, so they have a lot of a lot of guys that are um, fun. A lot of guys that are young. I think they have a team full of guys that haven't hit their prime, with the exception, maybe like you said, of Brogdon, who maybe they need that veteran there, um, which I definitely think so. They have a lot of guys who um, their best days are ahead of them, or hopefully. Uh, they're, they're fun. I want to see basketball be good in Portland. I don't really want to see any franchise not do well, and especially when they're making smart moves. So that's really fun. I like what they've done. Uh, but we're going to shift to some of the ramifications of these two big deals. Um, and I'm going to start here. We, we talked a little bit about the power dynamic shifting to where the Milwaukee and Boston are the guys everyone's going to be talking about for the rest of the season. Who does this put pressure on for you? And is anybody going to be uh, you know have to put their foot on the gas in terms of decision making, or is are there teams that maybe have sat back too much that need to make a move or really need to prove that they're still contenders because of these moves? Yeah, I think we can probably talk about I don't know again five or six or seven teams here as far as the the organizations that are probably going to feel the most pressure going into this season and for the duration of the season. Milwaukee to me has the most pressure. Um, I think had they not made that trade, I think we're, we're talking about Denver probably feeling the most pressure because they, for the most part, kept their team intact. They lost Bruce Brown, who was a phenomenal bench player for them, um, was a shot in the arm, shot a life for that second unit, um, and yeah. was a huge point uh, 
and them winning the the NBA title last season. I think we'd be we would be talking about them if it weren't for these trades being made. But I think the focus of at least the media is going to go to Milwaukee. So I think the pressure on paper, so to speak, is going to be on Milwaukee. Um, the question I wanted to ask you, and I'm glad we got to this point, do you think this is a last-ditch effort from Milwaukee ownership to desperately hold on to Giannis after the comments he made after the season, basically saying, if there's an opportunity for me to win somewhere else, I have to go take advantage of that opportunity? Uh, absolutely. I think that, that I think the pressure is on Milwaukee because Giannis... I think Giannis was embarrassed at the end of last season. Um, and I know there was injuries, and, and maybe if it, there's not, they beat Miami. Yeah, I definitely think that's the case. I mean, they have to prove that they're willing to keep people there to contend. Some of these teams haven't done that, and that's why these players bounce. Portland never brought anybody in for Lillard. Um, and I know it's a smaller market, but so is Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah, Milwaukee's one of the smallest markets in the league. Yeah, and they made the big move. I mean, you know, Minnesota and they didn't make the right move necessarily, but they're showing they'll make moves for their superstars, bringing in guys like Gobert. Again, I'm not agreeing that the move is good for them, but they still prove these small market teams are willing to be aggressive. Yeah, I think Milwaukee's showing, hey, you can be here, you can be our star for the you know the duration of your career, and we'll always put guys around you. I definitely think it was the the last second. I like that you said that because I wasn't thinking about Milwaukee having pressure in that standpoint, but yeah, I think if they don't. Giannis is looking elsewhere or, you know, it's championship or bust and, and they threw it out there. Um, so I, I definitely think so. They're, they're definitely saying, hey, we, we want you to be around for a long time. We, we don't want you to be one of those guys that, that bounces on us and then we have we have nothing. Um, the team I think it puts a lot of pressure on, I don't think Boston has as much pressure. I think, I think Boston maybe was experiencing pressure and they've proven that now they're, they're willing to, to make the moves to, to contend. Denver, I think, definitely does. I still think they could be the best team in the West. I know Bruce Brown was big. Um, I, I, I still, I, I still think they'd be the best team in the West. But I think there's some pressure because they didn't, they didn't add anything. They, they haven't brought anybody in, and so I think being someone that really likes Denver and what they've done. I don't see them as the favorite right now to win the championship. I mean, they can come out and look just like last year. But I think they may have pressure to repeat. But I also don't know how much pressure there is when you have won a championship. But I think to be that top team, the pressure is definitely on them. Uh, the team I'm looking at, and I hate talking about them all the time, is the Los Angeles Lakers. They did add some things, and they were a talk at the beginning of the summer, and now I, you don't hear anything from them. So I think the two teams really that I'm seeing that have – and put on the back burner is Miami because they were all in to get Dame and now they have nothing and or they just have what they had and Los Angeles who they no one's talking about them being contenders uh, so those two teams to me have a lot of pressure uh, but I agree with you that Milwaukee has it because they could lose Giannis if they don't get it and they now are saying that they should be the best team yeah and I think here's an interesting point to, to everything you just said it's kind of an anomaly going into this NBA season that the 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 champion the defending champion does not have the pressure on it to repeat like most most champions do 
because uh, now the focus is, has clearly shifted. I still think we're in a situation where Denver could probably be the, you know, have the best record in the NBA. I don't think that's out of the question, um, seeing how talented their roster is despite losing Bruce Brown. Uh, they've got enough firepower on that roster with Jokic and Murray and Gordon and those guys, Porter, uh, to certainly make a run and have the best record in the league. Uh, I look at Phoenix as kind of being in a win-now type of scenario, too, because you don't know how much longer Durant is going to be able to play at a high level. Um, He's certainly on the tail end of his career. Um, You bring in... Bradley Beal to play the point guard spot, which I think maybe is going to be a tad unorthodox for him Um, and having to distribute and play off the ball in a role where he may be watching guys play ISO situations. Um, So I don't know if that's going to be, hey, it's my turn this trip, it's your turn the next trip, what their offense is going to look like. And I like the fact that you mentioned the Lakers because regardless, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, there's going to be pressure. you know, is this going to be LeBron's last season? There's going to be pressure there if this turns out to be LeBron's last run. Um, Anthony Davis, I think, is obviously on the tail end of his career. Uh, and something I've thought quietly, especially going back to Giannis making his comments at the end of the season, I think Giannis or Embiid within the next season or two I think one of those two guys ends up in L.A. Um, as the oh, Lakers, wow, okay. as the Lakers are going to look to move off of LeBron. Um, I think with Bronny officially being in college, playing at USC, um, the younger son finishing up high school. I think that there's going to be enough intrigue for LeBron off the basketball court. He's done enough on the court, obviously. Um, I think if this isn't his last season, he's probably looking at maybe one more year. I could see the Lakers looking to move off of AD after this season. And I think at some point in the near future, whether it's after this season or in two years, I think Giannis or Embiid, one of those two, is wearing a Lakers uniform. To me, there's always pressure on L.A. And the one, the other team I want to mention, uh, not that there's championship aspirations, but pressure on the Dallas Mavericks. Oh, I wasn't even thinking about them in your spot. Um, simply from a standpoint of you have to make the playoffs. And if you don't make the playoffs, is Luka Doncic looking to bolt? I'm going to leave the floor to you. Okay, so I wasn't even thinking about them, and we're about 15 seconds away or so from the buzzer going off. Overtime we're, coming up. We're, we're taking a, we're taking overtime, at least a minute or two. So we are, and my buzzer's going off right now. Quick overtime point before we wrap it up. But I agree. It wasn't the team I was thinking about because, in all honesty, I don't think of them as a championship contender. I'm not thinking about Dallas. I think about 10 other teams before I think about Dallas. (laughs) And they're the guys that have made big splash moves, and they've not reaped any any benefit of it. Definitely. I mean, if stuff goes bad, Kyrie will want out immediately. Kyrie is someone that could be gone this season. He's at, he's becoming a guy that is almost in the James Harden Russell Westbrook conversation for me. Uh, the only reason Russell Westbrook isn't in it for me is because at least Russell Westbrook goes out there and plays hard and doesn't beg to leave. Right. That I mean, but I agree with you. Russell Westbrook is is painful in some ways, but Kyrie I think is at the level of of Harden where it's just like do like we're we're done with you. We're not entertained with you. I don't think you're a winning winning player. Luke is interesting because. 
I think Luca was the I'm gonna take the Nowitzki torch and be the Mavericks guy. He's really the guy they could look to leave. I mean, Embiid is showing loyalty. I definitely see where that could go south. Um, just because it's the only thing that makes sense at this point for Philadelphia. Dallas, Dallas has to do something. Well, Luca, Luca was the like, perennial preseason leader to be MVP last year. It was yeah. every article you read, every writer that you you looked at. You know, Luca was in the top one, two, or three preseason MVP candidates. And Dallas managed to do absolutely nothing with him. And they've not surrounded him with great pieces. And in some cases, you could talk about the style of basketball that Luka plays being a little bit hard to watch because he's very ball dominant. It's a lot of pick and roll. It's a lot of ISO late in the shot clock type stuff. But they've also not done a very good job of surrounding him. And you and I have talked about this kind of at nauseum in certain aspects of surrounding him with the type of player that he needs to be surrounded by. And it's not another isolation basketball player. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think, yeah, that it's almost been like, hey, this is going to be Luka's year for the MVP, and it's just not there. Uh, Jokic is everything everyone expected Luka to be, a guy that could carry a team to a championship and make everyone better. Luka doesn't make everyone better. Luka makes everyone open because you you have to step in front when someone has the ball every time. Jokic makes everyone better. Um the Mavericks, I think, definitely have the most pressure because they're gonna they're gonna lose both their superstars, uh, and it's gonna it's gonna look ugly. Uh, I don't I, you know I don't want to continue our overtime session too much longer here, but I think this is the biggest power shift that has happened right before the season that I think I've witnessed. Um, obviously, you know Le- LeBron going to Miami was big. That was early in the summer. Um, there are two last second moves that have shifted it. This is making it a much better storyline going into the season because now there's not the what if, what if, what if with these teams. There is things have happened and certain teams have stepped up as the number one option. Uh, you know, without belaboring the point, very excited for it. I know you are too. Um, let us know your thoughts on this. If you can follow us uh, and comment at, at picket fence underscore pod on Twitter, find us on Facebook and Instagram. Let us know your thoughts. Did we leave anybody out? Are there players we're not talking about or teams that we're overlooking? Um, thanks again for joining us. Uh, and as always here on the Picket Fence Podcast, don't, don't get, get caught, caught watching, watching the paint dry. That was fun. That was a really good conversation. I wasn't even thinking Dallas. <laughs>